to grab your Bibles. We kicked off a new series last week, um, and the name of this series was The Promise, and it's our Christmas series, um, and the reason why we called it The Promise is really we are convinced that re- the, the Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem was the result of a promise that God had made. So you have, have this promise that really has more than one part. And last week and, and over this series, we're just splitting it up into the different parts. And so we've only got the three weeks because we've only got three weeks for this Christmas series. And so we split that promise up into the three parts of what I call a promise. A promise is more than just the initial words spoken by God. It's more than that. It's the entire, uh, it encompasses the beginning to the end. So the initial words spoken, we call the vow. Then there's the vigil, and then there's the amen. And so we're splitting it up into three. Last week we covered the vow, which was that just initial word spoken by God that set things in motion and began this process. Um, For that, we went all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, here's what it says. This is by God, too, speaking as part of a curse on the serpent, which is very clearly an image of, of Satan. And this is no sooner had Adam and Eve fallen away, no sooner had they done the very thing that God told them not to do and brought sin into the world and all our lives are changed as a result. No sooner had that happened, but then God begins the process of bringing it back around. That he begins to speak into existence this thing. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring or seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And some versions actually say, he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. And even as we read that, you see the beginning seed, the very first thought of what will eventually grow and become Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem and, and then further, so Christmas, and then also all the way around to Easter. This is the very first seed of it. And it takes some time to see this seed grow over a period of at least 4,000 years probably more than that, a little bit more than that, at least 4,000 plus years, the seed begins to grow. And as you read through the Old Testament, you see what begins as a a crushing of the head and a bruising of the heel grows, and you understand that it's through the descendants of Abraham that all of the nations will be blessed through this seed. And then you see even further than that, eventually you see that he's going to be of the line of David and that he's going to rule all time and so you see the seed begin to grow and then through the prophetic books and through specific prophets you see that boy this is going to cost him something that he's going to be a suffering servant and that when it says bruising of the heel it means that he will take stripes on his back for us and that his hands and his feet will be pierced for us and we see it all the way through as the seed begins to expand and expand and expand until it reaches Matthew and Luke and John, and, and you see where it becomes the consummation, the realization of God's promise, that vow spoken 4,000 years before. It's a beautiful thing to watch. It's also a long time. 4,000 years from the initial word spoken to its realization. That is a long time to wait. And yet we know that the reason why God waited that amount of time because he was waiting for what's called the fullness of time. He's waiting for the perfect time. He's waiting for it to be the right time for Christ to come. And, and, and a great verse that talks about that is in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. And in Galatians 4, 4, here's what it says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The person who originally pointed that verse out to me and said, hey, Alan, don't you just love this verse, is, was um, Barbara Carlson. We were, it was a part of our Daniel Bible study on Wednesday night. Great, great Bible study. But she said, you know what I love about it? Is that it's the fullness of time, and it's in Galatians 4.4. 4. I was like, what? She said, 4-4. Four, four. Anybody who has even a little bit of musical training, 4-4, four, four, the timing. You'll never forget that. Galatians 4-4 four, four is the fullness of time. And I was like, oh, yeah, that kind of works, doesn't it? And, and what I loved even about the Bible study is as we were going through Daniel, 
as you read through it and you see even the things that God put in place in order for it really to be the perfect time for the Christ to come, that as a result of the Greek language being really the language of the known world at that time, people were able to communicate the message of Jesus Christ. Unlike any time before that, it had reached the fullness of time because of the peace of the Romans, because the Romans uh, and the empire was in control, it was safe to move from one place to another in order to bring the message as a result of the roads that the Romans had built all over the known world in order to really conquer, that message was able to move really quickly. And so you see very quickly the explosion of the church because God waited until the fullness of time in order to bring about the Christ coming. It's a beautiful thing to look at, and that's what we saw in that study. But what's, I guess, difficult is when you're on the other side of it. When you're in the waiting. When you haven't seen it yet because you're waiting for the fullness of time, the perfect timing. Liz and I started dating in 2001. We met in 2000. And we started dating in 2001. And as part of that, I noticed that we early on, probably about three months in, decided, you know what, we're probably going to get married. So we started talking about that really early. And thankfully, we had people who were wiser than us that said, you know, you're going to be married for a very long time. And it's okay for you to take some time right now and make sure that you have a solid foundation to make sure that you have a solid financial foundation, to make sure that you have a solid spiritual foundation, to make sure that you have time to get things set in place in order for your marriage really, truly to flourish. And, and I'm so thankful for that wisdom because we waited four years. We dated for four years before we got married. Boy, four years is a long time to wait to get married. I mean, really very long I wanted to get married, okay? And if there would have been one more person who would have told me, love is patient, I would have ended them. Like, it would have been over. But at the same time, as I look back on it now, as I look back on the, the time that we waited and the people who were wise enough to say, just give it a little space, and I think... We are still benefiting from the wisdom of others in that waiting four years. Why? Because we waited for the right time. That didn't make it easier, though. Waiting is difficult. Have you ever been in a hurry and God wasn't? A few of you? Yeah, okay. Three of you? Have you ever asked God for something, and, and the age-old adage is that when you ask God for something, that there's three possible responses he'll give you. Yes, no, and not yet. Man, it's great when the answer is yes. Because you get the thing that you were praying for, you were asking God for. Isn't that just fantastic? You're like, oh, thank you, God. You've blessed me. And I'm so thankful for it. And even when the answer is no, it's final. Right? Like you can... Okay, God, I trust that what you're doing is you are saying it's not, this is not the right thing. And God, I, I submit to your wisdom. I submit to the fact that you know things that I do not do. And you can mourn it and you can move on. But when it's not yet, that is a difficult place to be in. Because when it's not yet, that doesn't mean that it's yes tomorrow. It might be no down the road. You don't know, but it's a not yet. And so it's like this whole world of uncertainty. You can't move on from it because you're still asking for it. But it's that process of waiting. And all through Scripture, all through Scripture, you will find verses that talk about waiting on God and, and how he wants us to wait. And so we're in the second week of this series that is really about Christmas and the promise. And we started with the vow, the initial word spoken. And today we're in the vigil, the waiting Christmas is about waiting. In fact, even when you're a kid, and maybe more so when you're a kid than when you're even an adult. For me, I've maybe, I'll be honest, transparent, I've maybe lost a little bit of the anticipation looking towards Christmas. But when you're a kid, boy, that anticipation builds, 
right? From the moment you first get through Thanksgiving, it's almost Christmas. And, and when you see that it's Christmas and the tree goes up and the lights, Asher's really struggling with this right now. Because he says, is Christmas going to come? And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, it's like super warm outside. I guess Christmas isn't going to come this year. And I said, listen, Asher, that's just all the hot air coming out of Washington, D.C. You don't need to worry about it. Christmas will still come. I said, here's what I want you to hold to. Hold to this. When the ice cap melts, they're the first to go, okay? And after that, everything will be good. The whole earth will cool back down and everything will be happy and everybody will be good. But for him, <laughs> I don't know how you do it with your kids, but if you, if you do the uh, advent calendars where every day they get a new little gift and it all builds towards Christmas. To us, we have, a, we have a calendar where they get to change every morning when they woke up or when they wake up, they get to change it just one day forward. They get to move it just a little bit, uh, uh, just advance it. And then there's this anticipation that's building. When you're a kid, you're building the anticipation. And some people say, well, Christmas is about Jesus and you shouldn't give gifts. And I say, you're way off. Because, man, do you see the anticipation that builds in those kids as they're looking forward to Christmas? When I was younger, when I was like 10 or 11 years old, and I guess this is like my formal confession. When I was 10 or 11 years old, I realized where the parents kept the gifts before they were wrapped. Yeah, for every parent in this room right now. Your closet is not a secure location. Like, that's the first place that kids are going to look. And so this one year, I'm 10 or 11 years old, and I said, I bet you they're in their closet. So I, I'll, I'll tell my parents after service, because they still don't know this, okay? But when I was 10 or 11, I snuck into their bedroom. I think they may have still been sleeping one morning. Oh, man, was I sneaky. I went into the closet, and I, like, looked through each of the gifts, and I knew who each of those gifts were for. It was so exhilarating, and I loved it. But then for the rest of the year, all the way up until Christmas... I had absolutely no anticipation. And as we were opening the gifts that Christmas morning, like I, I could call them out, but I had to pretend like, oh, I'm so excited for you, underwear. You know what I'm saying? Like I knew what each of them were going to be, and so some of the anticipation was gone. And really, truly, Christmas is partially about anticipating and waiting for the Christ. I mean, for us, and even for the church, for Almost a thousand years, they did something very similar to what they do at Easter with Lent. They would fast or they would prepare in order that Christmas, they would be more, uh, that they would be more ready for it, that they would anticipate it, that they would look forward to it, to even put themselves in the place of those who were originally waiting for the Christ. Christmas, at least part of it, is about waiting. It's about the vigil. And you know, for some people... They waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited until they closed their eyes for the last time, until they breathed their last breath. And the verse that is really the core of what we want to talk about today is in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, down through 16, speaking of those people who were waiting for the Christ and never saw it realized. People who were waiting for the promise, that initial seed that they saw all the years before, but never saw it materialize in its fullness. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. These are people who waited for the promise of the coming one. They waited to see the Christ and never saw it. 
it says they died in faith. The best they had was to see it from afar. And, and the image and the words that are used here are kind of like when you're in a room, like say this size room, and if I'm standing over here and I'm talking to some people and we're talking and all of a sudden Liz walks in all the way over here, I guarantee you where my eyes are going to go, they're going to go to Liz. Because come on. <laughs> and so if I'm talking to you and I start glancing over your shoulder like this, you can be guaranteed that probably Liz is in the distance. But that's the image here. It says that they saw it and greeted it from afar. But it's like they never actually got to go and meet it. They saw it and they said, oh man, I want that. It says that they desired a better country. And as a result, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God Wow, that's pretty big. And it shows how important it is that we know how to wait. I call it the vigil because of the fact that a vigil is more, it's not a word that we use these days. We don't use vigil. Like maybe you go to a vigil service sometime. But we need to know how to keep a vigil. Because a vigil, let's just define it. A vigil is waiting, right? And the Bible, again, talks a whole lot about waiting. But when it talks about waiting, it's not just saying some random, uh, just sitting back and letting it happen. It is more than just waiting. It is waiting actively, okay? It is waiting actively. Even the word that we use, or the reason why I came up with the word vigil for this is from a verse all the way back in Exodus chapter 12, verse 42, and, and I memorized this verse, actually had it down or really knew it for the first time in the NIV. Some of you have, I, I read from the ESV and you're reading it, you're like, boy, that's not how I remember that verse. And it makes it a little bit more, that's what it's like for me, except I used to read the NIV and now I'm really hardcore into the ESV. In the NIV it says, because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them up out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. Because God kept the vigil, because he was actively waiting, and, and it's talking about the Passover and that night when the, when the angel of death came through and, and they put blood on the doorposts and God watched over those who were, uh, had put the blood over the, and made sure that the death did not reach their firstborn in the same way that God was actively waiting and stayed watching that night in the same way he wants his people for generations to follow to wait in the same way to wait actively there's this really interesting thing that's going on right now with waiting and and i'm glad that now there's studies that are coming out about it people are actually more willing to wait a little bit without getting upset you know what's the difference? Cell phones. People are more willing to sit for five, ten minutes because they're able to pull out their phone. And now there's studies that talk about this. At the same time that people are more willing and get less angry while they're waiting, they also wait much more passively. Right? So it's more of a sitting back and pulling out your phone. And the study that came out just recently said that for people who are waiting, if they have to wait up to a minute, 62% will pull out their phone immediately and begin to surf through it. 55% will pull it out within 10 seconds. Why? Because we're used to waiting, and in the process of waiting, we're able to do something else to keep us out of that moment. So people participate less with those who are around them while they're waiting. This isn't what he's talking about with the vigil. When I use the word vigil, I'm not talking about just waiting, like sitting through something. I'm talking about waiting actively. Waiting, participating in it. It's not just a, okay, I got to make it through this. It is waiting in the moment and actively participating in it. Have you ever been a part of or seen the process for a Passover service? Boy, it's complicated. The amount of things that the Jewish people go through in order to participate in Passover, it's complicated. It's an active process. In the same way that God was active on Passover, now they are active in their process of waiting for the Christ. 
Okay, that's what it's really all about. And so there's the same way that they wait, but they wait actively. Not just actively, though. They wait actively and quietly. A vigil is waiting actively and quietly. If you go to a vigil service, I guarantee you they won't have rock and music. It's going to be a quiet service. It'll be much more subdued. What's interesting is how many verses in Scripture tie together waiting and quietness. Psalm 62, verse 5. Here's what it says. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. Wait in silence. Is this not the best verse ever for parents everywhere? In fact, let this be my Christmas gift to you. I talked to Pastor Caleb, and next week, this is the verse that will be the memory verse in kids' service. Okay? So the next time you're waiting for something and they don't stop talking, say, what does Psalm 62.5 verse say? Wait in silence. Exactly. So that's my gift to you, okay? Merry Christmas. But isn't that a great verse for that reason? But, but even as you look at it, it says... For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. Who's waiting in silence and who's talking here? The person is talking to their soul. He's saying, O my soul, wait in silence. So what kind of silence are we talking about? We're talking about internal silence. We're talking about a silence in the process of waiting where we say to our own soul, you know what? I'm going to let go of that anxiety. I'm going to let go of that fear. I'm going to let go of that angst. I'm going to make sure that I'm keeping myself silent so that the enemy comes against me with those accusations, he finds no foothold. It's not easy, but this is a part of the vigil. The vigil to wait the way God waited is to wait in such a way that there's this internal silence where the enemy comes against us and we say to our own soul, wait in silence. This isn't about telling your kids to wait, although they will have this verse memorized. This is about telling our own internal soul, wait silently before the Lord. So as we're going through this process of waiting, maybe Whatever promise you feel like God has given you, whatever words have been spoken and you sense this is what God is speaking to me, wait silently. Wait in such a way that when the internal voices get louder, you stand up to it and say, no, oh my soul, wait silently for the Lord. Psalm 62, 5, and you find this all all through scripture about waiting silently. So, so if again, if I were to define what a vigil is, I would say it's waiting actively and silently expecting. Actively and silently expecting. And this is just my definition from what I see in scripture of what a vigil is like. Psalm 130 verse 5. Here's what it says. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. I've never been a watchman. I've never been standing guard. But I'm pretty sure that the watchman is not actually just watching for morning. I'm pretty sure that the watchman, the person who's on guard, is watching for the enemy. Or watching for something very specific. But if you're the watchman who's in the middle of the night watching for the enemy, what is it that you're expecting? Oh boy, you're expecting that sun to rise in the morning and then you're off duty. You're looking forward to it. You have an expectation towards it. You know that it's coming and you have this expectation expectancy of the fact that it will be here. You might be watching for something else, but you're expecting the morning. Maybe the enemy never will come, but the morning will. And a vigil is not just watching and waiting quietly and waiting uh, 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 actively and quietly, but it's waiting actively and quietly expecting. 
when Liz was pregnant for the first time with Clara. Boy, we didn't know what to expect. But you know what we said? She's expecting. She's expecting. And that seed of a promise, we believed, was going to end up in a baby. And that doesn't mean that we just sat back and said, all right, bring us the baby. No. We went out and bought so many kid things, and our house got so cluttered with toys, and we got the nursery ready, and we put out, we figured out what the name was going to be, and we put it on the wall, and then we covered it with paper so nobody else would know it until it was time. We did the things that you would do expecting something to happen. She was expecting. And a part of the vigil is not just waiting for it. It is expecting to see it. But even as we're expecting, there's a danger there. And we talked about this last week with the vow. When we talk about the fact that when God gives us a seed of a promise, that it's easy sometimes to cling to our expectation of what that will look like. So when I talk about a vigil, I talk about, well, waiting actively and quietly expecting the unexpected response. Expecting the unexpected response. In Psalm 37, verse 7. Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Isn't that like the worst thing ever? Isn't it the worst? When you're praying for something from God, and you're waiting for it, and someone else gets it. And is it even worse when that person doesn't deserve it? Isn't that just the most painful thing ever? When you're waiting for a response from God and this person maybe doesn't even serve the Lord, but the thing that you're waiting and expecting and praying for is the thing that they end up with? What Psalm 37, 7 says is don't let that discourage you. It might not be exactly how you expect it to turn out, but don't allow that to be something that pulls you away. Maybe, maybe it doesn't turn out right on time the way you want it to. Or maybe somebody else gets it first, but don't allow that to tear you down. Probably one of the saddest chapters in the Bible is 1 Samuel chapter 13. And 1 Samuel chapter 13 is... It's the passage where the kingdom is pulled away from Saul, okay? In 1 Samuel chapter 13 is the point at which uh, uh, Samuel had told him to wait for him, right? And he said, wait for him for seven days. He said, at the end of seven days, I'll come. So Saul waited. Here's what happened in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 13, verse 8. After he had waited for seven days. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel had told Saul, wait for me before you attack, and I will offer the burnt offering. Saul couldn't wait anymore. It was seven days, the appointed time, and, and boy, Samuel didn't show up. So Saul takes it into his own hands, and he does the burnt offering. No sooner does he finish, Samuel shows up. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 13, you find that God is going to take the kingdom from him and give it to someone who is after his own heart. He gives it to David. You know what's interesting? How many times in scripture that David says something to the effect of, I wait before God? How many times in scripture, and Psalms especially, the book of Psalms, that David wrote the words, my soul waits on God. He understood waiting. And for Saul, what if he would have just waited an hour longer? No sooner had he finished it, 
that all of a sudden Samuel shows up. If he would have waited just minutes long, I mean, Samuel was right around the corner. But I believe God specifically told Samuel how long to wait and exactly when to show up because he wanted to test whether Saul would wait on him the way God wanted him to wait on him. But because it didn't come exactly the way he was expecting, because the promise didn't show up right on time, Samuel took it into his own hands and as a result lost the kingdom. He lost it all. Sometimes I think it's just right around the corner. I think sometimes the promise is just right there. And if we just would hold a little bit longer. So a vigil is waiting, actively and quietly, expecting the unexpected response of a patient God. Second Peter Chapter 3, verse 8 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Boy, that's a great promise if you haven't come to God yet. But that's a terrible thing to hear if you're waiting on God. Two things. Number one, he doesn't count time the same way you do. And to him, a day is like a thousand years. So when he says, yeah, I'll get to that tomorrow, it's kind of a bummer. And not only that, a day is like a thousand years, but he's also really patient. Okay. So when the people call out for a deliverer, what does God do? He sends a baby and he waits. And he does that two times. God is not afraid to wait. God is a patient God. And if we are going to be people after his own heart, then we need to be patient people. One of the things that now I look back on and I see in my own life is, I am so thankful that God is a patient God. And I am so thankful that he sees things that I do not see. Because if I got everything I wanted when I wanted it, First off, I'd be a spoiled brat, right? Because that's what happens when that happens. But second, I would be in a totally different place than I am right now. As I look back on my own life and I remember the things that I wanted so badly when I wanted them, where I am now, I look at it and I say, oh God, thank you that you did not give me what I wanted when I wanted it. But you're a patient God who understands and sees things that I do not see. So as I'm waiting on you, as I'm holding vigil, as I'm keeping vigil, I will wait. Boy, I'll wait actively. And I'll wait quietly. And I'll wait expecting the unexpected response of a patient God. But I'll wait. Because I know you know better than I do what I need. And when I need it. So I trust him. And I have faith. I love Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Brother Bill Lindsay read this in prayer this week. And it's a great promise. What? What a great verse. And when he read it, I'm so thankful that he read it. Let me read it to you. It's one you've heard of. Probably a billion times in your life. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 and 23 says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'm so thankful that Brother Lindsay read that. You know what else I'm thankful for? 
that he didn't stop reading there, but he kept reading because the thought's not over. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good. And I read this verse and I think inside myself as I'm waiting for things, man, that's not good. But then I read this verse and it sure says, this is good. It's good to wait silently for the salvation of the Lord. I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Specifically, I want to read the second half of that again. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 15. Speaking again of these people who waited and died in faith until their eye closed for the last time. And until they breathed their last, they waited. And here's what it says of them. But they weren't thinking of what had come before. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. Verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. They have a desire for it. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. What I love about that is, man, I want God to not be ashamed to call himself my God. And what it includes is a desire, a, a vigil, a waiting for his promises to be realized. Boy, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm waiting on it. And for some of us, we're clinging to and holding to promises. And, and for some of those promises, it is like 1 Samuel chapter 13. It's, it's Saul. And if you just hold on to it for one more hour... If you don't let go of it and try to take it into your own hands just one more hour, you'll see that promise realized. But for some of us, you will not see that promise answered until the other side of heaven. And your eyes will close for the last time and you will die in faith for that promise. But either way, the promise will be fulfilled. And for these people who held out till the very last, God is not ashamed to call himself their God. And what I love even as it talks about him being, whether he would be ashamed or not, is look at the causal relationship there. Look at the beginning of that sentence. Therefore God is not ashamed. So as a result of their action, because of the fact that they held to it in faith until the very end, until, they, until their eye closed for the last time, because they died in faith, he's not ashamed to call himself their God. But look at the end of it, too. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For. So there's two causals here. He's not ashamed because of what they have done. And he's not ashamed because of what he has done. For he has prepared for them a city. Now when I tell my kids I'm going to do something, and I don't do it, I'm ashamed. But when I tell my kids I'm going to do something, and I follow through with it, I'm never ashamed. So not only is he not ashamed because they held on to the last, and he's not ashamed to be called their God. But he's not ashamed because the promise that he gave them, he will fulfill. Therefore, he is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. It's both sides of it. And he is not ashamed. Now, I don't know what the promise is that maybe you're holding to. I don't know how long you've been holding that vigil and quite honestly, I don't know if the answer's just around the corner for another hour or if it's not until the other side of heaven. 
But I know with absolute certainty that our God will be faithful and will not be ashamed to be called your God if you hold to it until your dying day. So we need to make sure that we are a people who are able to wait. We need to make sure that we are a people who know what it means to keep a vigil, to wait actively and quietly, expecting the unexpected of a patient God. And I believe that as we instill that in our kids, I don't know how you're going to do that this Christmas, but a big part of Christmas is understanding and instilling in our kids that same expectancy. And I don't know what that looks like for the next three weeks for you, but boy, do it, because it's good. And however you might do it, make sure that Christmas includes a vigil. Because it's a part of it. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have made so many great and precious promises. God, I thank you that the very seed of this vow planted in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it grew. And our understanding of what you were doing grew and grew and grew. Until the day that a baby was born in Bethlehem. And we saw the beginning of the consummation of that promise. And then we saw his life. And we saw his death. And as he was on that cross being pierced. All of those promises and prophetic words came back. He will be pierced. Father, I pray right now for whatever vows you've given us, whatever promises we hold to. We don't know how those things are going to work out in reality. We don't know if it's just around the corner and we'll see it just the way we expect it. It'll come differently than we expect. Or if this is a truth that, or a promise that we're going to cling to until our eyes do close for that last time. But regardless of what it looks like, oh God, we commit ourselves to the vigil. We commit ourselves to the wait. May we be waiting people like David. May we wait before the Lord. And may we wait in such a way that when our soul rises up inside of us and questions your goodness, may we quote Lamentations chapter 3. And God, when the enemy comes at us and throws fiery darts and doubts at us, may we rebuke him in the name of Jesus Christ. God, may we be people who know how to wait. Thank you for this. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. Because as we're talking about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and what he accomplished, as we bring it up, from the very beginning when man fell away from God, and that chasm was introduced between us, God had a plan. And he began that work with a seed of a word. And it grew and grew and grew and grew. To this day, there is salvation available for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us are not righteous before him on our own account. Because of what Adam and Eve did, there's something inside of us that is broken and lost. But Jesus Christ came. The promise was realized in order that we might have that chasm disappear. And that promise was that if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we might have salvation. So this morning, I don't know where you are or what you've gone through. I don't know what you're waiting on. But if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is the most important thing. Salvation is available this morning, and you have an opportunity to receive it this morning. 
So right now, if you're in here and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Just say, right now, I just want to make that right. Jesus Christ has died for me, and this morning I need to make sure I accept that. If you're in here, would you just raise your hand if that's right where you're at this morning. You've not accepted Jesus Christ, and this morning you need to. This is the most important thing. If you would hold your hand up so that I might see it this morning, we can make sure that we pray with you this morning. Okay? Okay. Well, praise God. Thank God for his faithfulness. And this morning, I'm so thankful that what we're saying is that in this room, we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, which means we've realized that promise. Boy, I want to take a moment and just give him glory for that. Would you join with me in that? Would you stand with me? We want to go back to that song we sang earlier. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Would you join with us before you leave? Don't head out quite yet. Let's just take one moment and let's just turn that glory back to his name this morning. You were the word at the beginning. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden
is, amen. Some of you didn't even hear what I said, but you said amen anyways. <laughs> We're going to dismiss in just a moment, but before I pray and, and close this out, I want to give you just a couple little announcements in case you missed some of this earlier. Um, we still have our, our booth out in the front to get you signed up for financial peace for our Freedom Project. If you want to swing by there and check that out and get some more information, please do that as you head out. As well, if you are a part of our missions trip team or are interested in that, they will be having a meeting on the other side of the building in room 12. Room 12, if you're interested in, in that. And again, I just want to thank you for joining us this morning. If you're a guest with us, maybe you've only been a handful of times, we want to invite you again to get some warm, fresh-baked cookies just to my left, your left as you exit out of the room, and also to invite you to join us for pizza with the pastors. Thank you. Let's pray one more time. Father, again, we love you and we thank you for your presence in this place. God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus for us. God, I just pray that those promises in our lives that we're clinging to, God, that you would help us to remain patient. And in that patience, God, I just pray that we would be expecting you to move in powerful ways. God, we love you. We give you all the praise, all the glory due to your name. And in Jesus' name, everybody together said, amen. You may be dismissed this morning.